Women are angry. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, and he's Jeremy Wallace. You can find me at quorumreport.com, and Jeremy's work, of course, is at houstonchronicle.com. Jeremy, are you dry now? I saw that you were out in the rain uh, covering uh, one of these political events, and that's something I just don't do anymore. I'm glad you're caught in the rain then, get caught in the rain today. Hey, it's just raining somewhere in, in Texas. We're all just happy. We just needed some rain. Well, yes. I mean, I saw where some folks were making a big deal about the fact that all these Democrats are standing in the rain and maybe one or two Republicans to see Beto O'Rourke. And we'll get to all of that. But in Austin this week, it sort of looked like that scene in the Shawshank Redemption. You remember when the main character comes up out of the sewer and it's raining and he's glad that it's raining. He's got outstretched arms and the rain's hitting him in the face. and It's glorious. People in Austin were just doing that because it's raining and we need it. We're in the middle of this terrible drought, which is something we don't talk about enough. I am running. This is this is the part of the year, Jeremy. We're on a Friday. I am running basically on the finest cigar tobacco and the best coffee in Austin. So in, in other words, it's any typical Friday. This this is this is me, right? Um, I'm going through all the news of the week and trying to figure out what to what to start with here. You know, it's a it's a weekly struggle for me because there are so many developments that happen, so many things that we can talk about that we'll get into. But I got to tell you, the reaction from women this week, when Republicans finally agreed to do something that women in the state have been asking for for a long time, it tells me that Republicans have really pissed off women around here, including a lot of Republican women, with a lot of the other stuff that they're doing. So what was it that two key Republicans decided they agreed with this week that basically had women saying, yeah, that's good, but... and as we talked about in the pre-show with Maya, and this is a life lesson, Maya, when you make a statement and you say, blah, 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 but everything you said before the word, but doesn't matter. It's, it's what you say after it, right? That does matter. What was the thing that women this week thought, Hey, you know, this is okay, but you have really screwed up already. Well, I'm watching TV news as I do. Some folks don't like to watch it. I watch it. So you don't have to, this is how, the announcement about the tampon tax was covered by Ken's Five in San Antonio. Two prominent Texas Republicans want to eliminate the so-called pink tax on feminine hygiene products. Texans right now pay about $15 million each year in sales taxes on things like pads and tampons. Well, Houston Senator Joan Huffman and Comptroller Glenn Hagar are pushing to exempt those essentials from state and local taxation. Their endorsement is key since Huffman helps write the state's budget and Hagar is Texas's chief tax collector. Now, you might think the reaction from women would be that that's great. But that would be to omit a lot of things that have happened in the last couple of years, Jeremy. Um, there were there was a small group uh, of some students and others who were pushing to get this done, and they were asking for the comptroller, that's the state's accountant, to just go ahead and make the sale of feminine hygiene products tax-free. Uh, and they thought he could do that administratively. My joke, of course, was that if he was Greg Abbott, he would just sign an executive order. But I do think it needs a legislative fix uh, to make this happen. So there was a debate about that. Uh, But the reactions, here's one woman writing on social media. She said, Texas Republicans better listen up. If you think saving 50 cents a box on tampons is going to make up for abortion bounties, you're, you are effing delusional. Another 
right. The Texas GOP is staring right at the writing on the wall over abandoning rural Texas, hospitals closing, schools closing, kids getting gunned down, and no abortions being allowed under any circumstances in the state. Do you know that when you, and let's, let's take the gender out of it for a second, because I know I'm going to get hate mail about this, but let's say you're talking to your significant other. And of course, for me, that would be a woman. If you have made them angry, there comes a point where there's nothing you can say to make it better, Jeremy, that nothing you should retreat. You should retreat the battlefield. You, you, there's nothing you can say to make it better, uh, including vehemently agreeing with the original position. And I think the fact that Abbott immediately came out and said he supported this as well probably tells us a little bit about where the campaign is now for November with Republicans thinking, you know what, we have to do at least a few things that look like we support women's issues, women's positions on these things. Because look, this is not a new proposal. This has been uh, you know, thrown out there for many years, uh, mostly by Democrats, although there are some Republicans who have supported it, uh, you know, in fairness, especially, and this is key, especially some suburban Republicans. For example, Jeff Leach from Allen, Texas, up in Collin County, he had said, look, he supported it before and he'll write a bill to get this done in the next legislative session. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, absolutely. You know, this to me is another chapter in, you know, as Texas becomes more and more of a swing state, you know, and, and it's not there yet, you know, but like as it moves closer to that direction, we're acting like one, right? This is an issue that like all you have to do, look back in time to see in the olden days of uh, 2016 and 2017, when Florida you know, you know, controlled by governors who are Republican, you know, ended up signing the same thing into law. It's like so the Republicans in right. other states have kind of figured out it's like, yeah, this is a stupid, you know, system that we have where we tax this stuff. Uh, and so but it's just it's interesting that, you know, as again, as races get tighter and that fight for every vote matters even more, you know, in each election cycle, mm -hmm. it's like in this one particularly this is why you're seeing a lot of Republicans go, you know, in some suburban areas, my gosh, it's like we don't, you know, maybe this helps us. You know, it's like, like you said, though, there's mm -hmm. like, there's so much water under the bridge already. Uh, and I can imagine, you know, like sometimes you come to the table really late, <laughs> you know, again, you know, Florida <laughs> yes. was doing this in 2017. It's like, what the hell took us right. so long? You know, why is this just now getting yeah, so conversations from Republican legislators who mm -hmm. might be able to pull it off? You know, it's just like, but again, this is, the session's not happening. We got, you know, right. uh, talk to me next May and let me know if this, you know, starts moving anywhere. You know, right now it's hard yeah, to it's trust anything. Proposal, a, a campaign promise to do this in the future is what you see. And it's not just abortion. It's not just uh, women's autonomy over their body and all of that. It's also guns that women are very upset about. It's the uh, school violence in Uvalde. I was uh, watching uh, this New York Times video uh, that they promoted this week, uh, and it uh, includes this nine-year-old kid, JT Martinez, who had several cousins in the classroom that day in Uvalde when 19 children, a couple of teachers were shot. I had three cousins in that classroom, Xavier, Amory, and Jace. Xavier was my best friend and my cousin. He got shot right here and bled out. He passed on the way to Hondo because San Antonio was too far.
couldn't make it to one of the major trauma centers there uh, at San Antonio. Uh, Roland Gutierrez, uh, who is the state senator uh, who represents Uvalde, of course, he is from San Antonio. He was on MSNBC talking with Stephanie Rule, one of the anchors over there, and he said that people in Uvalde are not ready to send their kids back to school. And for many, many reasons, including what you've pointed out over and over again, Jeremy, is that when it comes to actual public policy, whether you're talking school security, guns, whatever, nothing's different. They've made it very clear to Governor Abbott that they're not ready. It was, I believe, on your show or on your network where you, MSNBC called him up out for not going to the community. Finally, two weeks ago, he began to start to go to Uvalde, and he got an earful. And yet he still has refused to do any of the things that those community, those constituents asked him specifically to call a special session, raising the age limit to 21 to buy a long gun in Texas. It took um, Rick Scott 23 days after Parkland to do that in Florida. And yet this governor in Texas doesn't have the fortitude necessary to do the right thing or to listen to his constituents. Jeremy, let me tap into your uh, expertise in covering the Florida legislature and Florida state government. So you had Rick Scott, who, check me on this, is not liberal. Is that correct? (laughs) That is 100%. And and the Republicans in the legislature there are not liberals or rhinos or or really moderates either. They're they're pretty conservative people, I think, for the most part, right? I'm sure there's some exceptions to that. Is that correct? Yeah, and they're more one-sided. They are much more of a Republican-only type of place. So there's like there's no Democratic buy in like we have a little of here with, you know, committee chairman who can be Democrats and the bipartisanship mm-hmm. that sometimes oh, right. happen in Texas. They have none of that. It's like right. it's just uh, not when you're a Democrat, nothing happens. So this is all Republican policy that is coming out of these guys. So uh, what is the difference then? Why, I mean, what made the difference after Parkland, uh, you know, the shooting there, uh, in your estimation, why would why were Republicans willing to go ahead and do something? where you know republicans here are not because they know they can lose you know that's it all comes down to like you know because it's such a swing state and granted like the the governor of of you know florida just like in texas has been republican you know for quite some time since the 1990s you know you got to go back to lawton childs in the 90s you know when he was governor mm-hmm. at the same time ann richards was at one point uh even before then but uh but still you get the point is like it, you know, in a competitive world, you know, the Republicans there do, you know, have to move at times. And Rick Scott, who signed that tampon tax bill into law, also did the uh, or the repeal of the tampon tax. And then uh, the, the, the Parkland stuff all came from Rick Scott because, look, mm-hmm. he was running for the U.S. Senate, you know, and, you know, you got to do something if you're going to beat a moderate Democrat you know, statewide. And at some point, as these races in Texas keep getting closer, I think all the Republicans are going to start understanding that the playbook here should probably look more like Florida than it mm-hmm. does like Oklahoma. You know, at some yeah. point, somebody's going to figure this out. They're going, wait a minute, we're not Oklahoma. We're more like Florida than people kind of understand in our politics. Yeah, um, it, it, it's fascinating. And I, I don't think that the um, conservative uh, Republican primary voters in Florida are more liberal than the primary voters in Texas, probably by any stretch. Um, And I I looked into it, Jeremy, after Republicans in Florida in that legislature voted for those gun restrictions there, there's not one of them who lost their primary. Yeah. Not a single one. And, and, And I think it speaks to the fact that these, these elections are dynamic. I say this all the time, but it's, it's, it's not one issue, whatever that one issue is. It's not just one issue 
that is the silver bullet that's going to you know cost somebody their election or or get or you know get them their victory. Um, it's always more complicated than that. Maybe with rare exception, it's almost always more complicated than that. But you know what people are dealing with now. Let's get real. These mothers are angry. Women are angry. Fathers are angry. I made a point last week that I was challenged on. Somebody said that I was making it up, Jeremy, that mothers in Texas and around the country are training their children on what to do if there's an active shooter at their school before they send them back. And of course, we have you know students going back this week here in Texas. Um, well, here's a mother teaching her five-year-old son what to do in case there's a shooter at the school. And you have to listen closely because his voice is a little faint. He's just a little kid. He's five years old, but um, he gets some things right and not other things. Listen. Teacher calls over the intercom, says this is not a drill. Everybody go in the corner and be really quiet and still. What do you do? Be on the corner and be really quiet and still. Good little kid. He runs over into the corner and mom then uh, asks him about other things that he needs to do. Now show me how you use your bulletproof backpack. Okay. He put his backpack, which is a Spider-Man backpack, in front of his face, which, of course, is not bulletproof. But this is the best we're doing for the kids right now is giving them their backpack and saying, put that in front of your face. You remember in Uvalde, there was a girl who was told by the teacher to, quote, hide behind the backpacks, close quote. That was her testimony in front of Congress. While a guy's walking in with an assault rifle, what the kids have to defend themselves with is a Spider-Man or a Batman or a Superman or a Barbie backpack. Okay. Now, as well as he did with all that, like I said, Jeremy, there's some things he didn't get quite right. Listen to the, and you know, he's only five after all. Listen to this. If the police are outside the door, but the shooter is in your room and they call out, is anybody in there? What do you do? I say, I'm here. Absolutely not. You don't say a word. Okay. If the shooter is in there, you do not say a word. You stay absolutely silent. Okay, you get out of the building. Where do you go? Where do you run? Outside. Where outside? Home. You run as far away from the school as you can go. Okay. Mom will find you. Let me tell you something. Mom will find you. Um, and, uh, it, you know, you, you see this video. You can find it on YouTube. The kid is smiling. He do, He's five. He doesn't understand how serious all this is, Jeremy, but the point you made last week about people having to talk to their kids about this stuff, it's really unbelievable um, that we're now, we've now basically raised a generation of the kids who are 17, 18 years old, know exactly what they're going to do at the school to try to deal with it if there is a school shooter on campus. And now we've got another generation coming up who's having to deal with the consequences of all of that. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, you know, all of these kids, like for years, you know, especially the younger ones, and, you know, and I've, I made this case before, but, you know, they're processing stuff that they can't process yet. You know, it's like, and so, you know, we're going to hear it like, you know, five or six years from now, just like we did after Newtown, you know, you know, kids saying, wow, that was messed up. You know, it's just like, what, what were we doing? You know, it's like, we were like hiding behind backpacks and, you know, trying mm -hmm. to lock a door. And again, there's a, guy with a military grade weapon outside the door what the hell does that do for anybody you know it's just not very comforting you know i i told the story you know the last time about you know my son you know after the shooting his middle school ended up having a meeting uh you know with oh, the yeah. kids mm -hmm. and it says oh you know if we do have an active shooter lock the door 
Like, and that was pretty much it. <laughs> For an hour, they talked about how to lock the door. It's like, well, well, great, because now you look at Yavaldi and like, well, the door was locked, you know, and what did that do, you know? Yeah, and I'm going to say something to my Republican friends. I mean this. The little boy's doing a good job, and you're not. All right, let's go to immigration, uh, because this is what Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick would like to talk about. When we're not in legislative session, Jeremy, Patrick spends a lot of time on Fox News Channel. And on Fox, Patrick was making the case that Governor Abbott's, and I like how Governor Abbott will go on and do something, and Patrick's going to defend it. Um, Abbott, of course, is busing all these migrants now to NYC and to D.C. And as we mentioned last week, the mayor in, in, uh, in New York had said that he was going to potentially send campaign volunteers to Texas to try to help Beto O'Rourke beat Greg Abbott. <laughs> so Patrick couldn't let that go unchallenged. Um, of all the things that Patrick could have said, and he always comes up with something clever, I'll give him credit. I, I, I didn't have this on my bingo card. He said that sending the, the, these immigrants to these blue cities, these democratic cities, he said there's nothing political about it. If it's political, it's from the mayor who said he's going to send door knockers to, to Texas for the November election to help Democrats. That's the person who's made it political. And by the way, Mayor, don't threaten Texas. And, and also, he may uh, spike the Republican turnout so much with that rhetoric that he's sending New Yorkers to Texas uh, that the Republicans might send him an award after uh, well, we blow them let, out in let, November. Let me, but let, that's the yeah, politics of it. They turn into politics. Let me get this to, he's talking to uh, Bill Hammer there on Fox who's trying to get the next question in, which I, well, in, in Bill's defense, it can be difficult with our Lieutenant Governor. Patrick repeated the same border security talk that we've heard from him and others you know, time and time again. And then he said, that and we've heard a version of this uh, from him before, Jeremy. But then he said that uh, illegal immigration that's happening now in the United States—it's all part of a plan by the Democrats to never lose another election. Uh, this suggests that this is all part of the plan. Again, you either have to be incompetent or dishonest. I mean, the vice president can't speak without giggling like a little girl. She can't say a sentence without giggling, and the president can't speak a sentence. Period. They said they wanted to get to the root cause. Bill reported that they haven't talked to anyone in Central America or several countries, so that's a lie. This is all about bringing people to this country to take over the country, Bill. It's very simple. I mean, we're now on pace in his first term to be over 8 million people here illegally, not counting the gotaways, just the ones we apprehend. That's the entire population of New York City coming to America. We will be at 15% or more uh, population in the next five to 10 years in this country of people who are here illegally. And these people in this line that your viewers have looked at this morning, do you want them to have the right to vote? Who are they gonna vote for? This is, this is a plan for the Democrats to take over this country totally once and for all. Who are those people going to vote for? Haven't I heard from Republicans for the last, I don't know, few years and, and longer than this, but there's really been a big push this year in particular, Jeremy, among Republicans to say, we are winning the Hispanic vote. And I remember talking to uh, one of President uh, George W. Bush's uh, advisors years ago who advised him on immigration policy, uh, a gentleman who lives in Houston named uh, Charles Foster. Uh, who's sort of a famed immigration attorney, uh, he said that, look, these people uh, are up for grabs. If they can, These are people who are entrepreneurial. They're people who, have, who share family values. George Bush, one of his famous lines on immigration was, family values don't end at the Rio Grande. Patrick is making this argument in what some folks said, and people were calling me about his appearance on Fox the other day. They said, look, he's 
This is not me saying it. I'm passing it along to you. And I'm passing it along to, uh, you know, the lieutenants uh, of the lieutenant governor, like Paul Bettencourt, who's one of our great listeners here of the show. Um, people were telling me that that sounds very racist for him to say what he said just now, because if you pay close attention to what he said, he said, for your viewers of Fox News Channel, if you look at those people on the street, who do you think they're going to vote for? That would largely be a Anglo audience, an Anglo audience looking at brown people on TV and then asking, who would those people vote for? It's not exactly the argument that I would be making if the rest of the Republican Party is trying to make the argument that, hey, down in the valley and other places, we've got the Hispanics coming our way. Your thoughts, sir? Well, and, and to really hammer that point home, like, you know, remember when George W. Bush was running for reelection, that guy just kept going to El Paso, breaking out his Spanish, you know, trying to like, you know, reach people like they couldn't get rid of the guy out there. He kept going out there. And you're like, this is a county that had never, ever voted for a Republican post reconstruction in this country. Right. And it's like, so, you know, there's no chance he's going to win the thing, but he won it. He won El Paso County. He's the first and the last Republican governor to ever carry El Paso County. Uh, and I'm gonna make I'm gonna go out on a limb now. You know, <laughs> Greg Abbott's not gonna carry it this time around either. But <laughs> no, you I don't see, think so. look at yeah. that philosophy of you know George W. Bush. You know, I, and I, I, you know, not you know he's look he's not the pantheon of all politics. But at this point, a lot of Republicans might be better served kind of going that route. You know, given that, like, look, you know, what did you know Bush do in those, you know, along the Rio Grande Valley? Like, he mm -hmm. won counties that you know a lot of Republicans have no prayer of winning. And why is that? Because he was respectful, you know, to the people who were there and didn't try to paint all Hispanics as potentially illegal immigrants trying to mm -hmm. steal their, you know, steal your elections. You know, you probably steal your don't elections, want to do that. Steal your job. Yeah, and what and what Dan Patrick is like parroting, he's just parroting the stuff that you heard on talk radio nonstop, you know, from like 2000 on. You know, that 2006 era is a a, a time period where like Republicans really kind of went off the rail. That's when it went yes. from you know immigration was an issue versus no, they're trying to take over our country, uh, and they started saying incredibly terrible things about, you know, all immigrants. And that's when all the show me your papers laws really started kind of, mm -hmm. you know, building up. And, you know, so you can see where all the problem could be, you know, it's like, and it just seems like at this point, again, if Texas is going to be more competitive, like this cycle mm -hmm. is looking like it's going to be, you might want to check the playbook to see maybe if there's some alterations that need to be made. Sure. And, you know, uh, Governor Bush had laid the groundwork for the uh, Republican share of the Hispanic vote to uh, increase election after election leading up until 2006. And in 2006, it, and I'm speaking Texas numbers, in 2006, Rick Perry made it the cornerstone of his campaign to be the guy who was cracking down on illegal immigration, the guy who said, if Washington won't secure this border, then Texas will. And then you start to see those numbers go down. And so when you see Republicans spending all this money, millions and millions of dollars in campaign dollars and your tax dollars, by the way, in South Texas, propping up this message that, hey, we're taking care of the Rio Grande Valley and all that. They're undercutting their own deal with the way Patrick's talking. Now, this busing of migrants is also not going over well with some people who are all in favor of cracking down on illegal immigration. Grade my paper again, Jeremy. You've heard of uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn. Tennessee. Oh, of course. Is she liberal? No, she's about as conservative as you're going to get. 
<laughs> right. She is not impressed with Abbott putting, and she didn't use his name, but listen, she said that uh, putting the, the migrants on these buses and taking them to places where they'll be welcomed is a terrible thing. What we have heard is that they are threatening the drivers from time to time, and they're wanting to get to where their friends are. See, they look at this, Steve, as safe passage, if you will, across the country, because they're being given that free bus ride to wherever they want to go. And of course, the sanctuary city policies that many cities mm -hmm. across the country have, these large big blue cities, not Chattanooga, but they have set up, the cartels have been free to kind of set up shop, if you will. They have such a cool aquarium. I think it's the Tennessee State Aquarium. Is it in Chattanooga? There's an awesome uh, aquarium there. Anyway, I just happened to think of that because she mentioned it. <laughs> On immigration, it is remarkable that because of the time frame that you're talking about going back to 05, 06, 07. And remember, it was George W. Bush who was the apostate on this issue, right? With his own base. It was his own party that stood in the way in Congress when he wanted to pass a comprehensive immigration reform bill. And I remember this is sort of, I think of it as the gestation of the Tea Party. It was the same people who ended up calling themselves Tea Party later in 08, 09, as Obama was coming into office. And a lot of those people would say, a lot of those Republicans would say that they were not just disgusted with Obama and his liberal policies. They were also angry with George W. Bush for immigration issues and for the bank bailouts at the end of his presidency. Um, the thing about this issue of immigration that I've just watched this play out 15, 20 years you know, if you think about how angry Democrats and, as we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, a lot of women and even women who might vote for Republicans or have done so in the past, they're real angry about things right now when it comes to abortion, when it comes to the gun violence stuff and everything else. For the Republican base on immigration, they stay the same level of inflamed no matter what is going on with the issue, no matter what the migration patterns are. No matter where the migrants are coming from, whether it's Mexico or the Northern Triangle countries, whether the migration patterns, uh, you know, equal, uh, you know, fewer people uh, being detained versus more people being detained. You notice when Patrick was talking about it, the number he was using was the people who have been caught by authorities, right? So, so it's not that people are based on the numbers he's giving. It's not like people got through. And then he says, well, you know, and that doesn't count the people who got away. So no matter what is going on with the numbers, no matter what's happening with the actual issue, the base of the Republican Party stays just as pissed off about it as they would be at any other point in history going back to about 2005, 2006. It just stays the same. And so that's why, it's one of the reasons why you see Governor Abbott all in on this, because he knows to make it through the election in November, he's got to have a rock solid position with that Republican base and then find some way to add to that. Well, and, and you kind of nailed it. If you look at the data uh, on the uh, immigration, you know, across the border right now, there's been kind of a, of a big shift in what's happening down there in the last couple of months. Like, you know, in, in the Rio Grande sector, uh, that's where we normally had the highest numbers of, you know, uh, border encounters right down there. But that has changed. That number has started to drop, you know, in, in the Rio Grande Valley. And Del Rio sector is now the area that's having a spike. But it, it's also like different nationalities coming through these different areas now. It's like the, you know, the areas around the Rio Grande Valley are still seeing a lot of like Hondurans and uh, Guatemalans coming through there. But up in Laredo, it's not that. You know, in Laredo, it's uh, primarily people from all the other countries of the world. 
uh, and not the you know the triangle. And so you just kind of it just throws you off. There's a lot of shifting and changing that's going on on the border. It's very nuanced. It's a much more complicated discussion than there are a lot of people coming across throw up a wall. It's like we, <laughs> you know that's probably feels good, but that's not going to figure out what what the heck is happening you know we're now seeing a slowdown in some of the you know people come from the northern triangle mm-hmm. countries into the u.s you know at least through the rio grande sector so what does that mean it's like i wish you know people would kind of talk about that more and try mm-hmm. to get to what is happening right now because we're going to probably get to the end of this year this fiscal year for the for the federal government and it's going to show that there were more apprehensions in the del rio sector than the rio grande valley sector Mm -hmm. that's really important because that's never happened (laughs) it never comes close like all of a sudden del rio's the new open front on this and there are people coming from other countries you know you're going to find cubans coming through there more often than you're going to find you know coming through you know a lot of other areas now at this point so it's really all complicated and very confusing yeah, now that we have established that there are reasons that you can articulate that some people who have traditionally voted for Republicans might support a Democrat for governor this year, let, let's play devil's advocate. I see all over the place, Jeremy, these videos and memes and tweets and whatever from the Beto campaign about how Republicans are voting for Beto. And they have some well produced videos, for example. This elderly gentleman from Sabine County says he's a Republican from way back in the day, and he is supporting Beto O'Rourke for governor. I'm definitely a Reagan Republican. Reagan, George H.W. Bush, and Dwight D. Eisenhower are my Republican heroes. It's a privilege to have somebody like Beto O'Rourke come and talk to us. Uh, We've never had a governor here. We've seen several examples like that. Uh, Then there was the big rally in Frisco up in Collin County, north of Dallas. And this Republican, who is not voting for Beto, said he's very concerned that there are a lot of people in Collin County, which has been pretty Republican, but it's trending toward Democrats the last couple of cycles. This guy says, listen, and he's, he's, he's saying to his Republican friends that they should be very, very worried. Folks, if y'all are not worried about Collin County and Texas turning blue, you really need to wake up. There were cars parked at least a half mile away going to this rally for Beto. They were still coming in when I left, and it started at 1 o'clock. And I live probably 15 minutes from the venue. So please understand that Texas is turning blue. Collin County is turning blue. I would estimate they're going to have well over 2,500, maybe more than 3,000 at that rally. We had maybe... 40 Patriots when I left. So they are organized, they're well-funded, and they have a game plan. Love the way he talks about it. There's thousands of these Democrats there and only 40, quote, Patriots, close quote. So he felt really outnumbered, Jeremy. Now, I can tell you, uh, covering elections in Texas for years, uh, uh, there are a lot of people who get real excited on the Democratic side when they hear something like this because they think, oh, wow, Republicans are recognizing that, you know, we're really picking up steam as Democrats. Well, do you remember, and he may still do a version of this, John Cornyn and his Keep It Red campaign? Yep. Uh, We're going back, you know, what, four, uh, we're going back two cycles uh, for him. 
and it was very successful. And this is when Republicans are still just blowing Democrats out of the water. It's a very effective, and I had somebody ask me this uh, this week. They said, do you think what that guy is saying there is better for Beto's argument or for Abbott's argument, for firing up Beto's supporters or firing up Abbott's supporters? And few things other than immigration – and you see how you know Dan Patrick ties it all together with immigration, and it means the Democrats are never going to lose because you got all these Democrats coming in. Few things fire up Texas Republicans like hearing that, oh man, the Democrats are coming, they're well organized, and they're about to take over this state. Yeah, it's a very effective message for Republicans who may not even love Greg Abbott, you know. But if you're going to defend the honor of the patriots who live in Texas, <laughs> maybe that's more motivating to, you know, grab your come and take it flag or come and get it if <laughs> you're some faulty if you're Ronnie, <laughs> If you're Ronnie Jackson. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. Um, but you know, so, so it's a very effective message. You know, again, I, it feels like we're doing a lot of Florida in this thing, but if you mm -hmm. watch you know, Marco Rubio's emails, you know, accounts, like he's always saying, I'm losing. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting right. beat, you know, send me money, money, you know, it's just like help yep. save us, you know, it's like, it's always that, you know, it's like versus like in Texas where, you know, they don't want to get as much into that. But, uh, but you know, circling back to like the way the, the Beto campaign does this is really kind of amazing. I, I've been to now enough of their rallies to kind of see how they kind of do this. They have this mm -hmm. like meet and greet line they do with everybody who wants to take a picture with Beto and they find out, is the guy a veteran? Is he a former Republican? You know, did he vote for Trump once? And so they're, they're coming through the line. Every time they get someone, they, they figure out who they are. They have a video guy ready to go for everybody. You know, last night yeah. in Pflugerville, you know, a, a couple of veterans came through and they said they were veterans and they and they start ringing cowbells and they start Cameras. doing a video yeah. on them. And like, you know, so what made you come out today? And that thing's going to be on, you know, Instagram or Twitter or right. something soon. It's like it's really kind of an interesting thing. And you can see how like from a PR perspective, how brilliant that ends up being. Because sure. Yeah, right. It gets now it's a narrative that's out there now. Yeah, now you're seeing these conservative, you know, maybe seeing Republicans in suburban areas seeing that going, well, maybe it's okay, you know, if I'm okay with Beto, you know, and it's just yeah. like just to even have that, you know, out there versus no, he's a you know flaming lefty, you know, George Soros money, don't ever vote for him. You know, right. it's kind of a nice counter to that whole argument. Just really question the idea that there are enough Republicans who would cross over and vote in the governor's race for Beto O'Rourke. Color me skeptical about that. Now, one reason that we don't see large gatherings of Republicans right about now is that none of the GOP candidates statewide are holding similar events, right? I mean, Abbott's not doing events like that. Or Dan Patrick's not doing events like that. Um, and when Abbott supporters show up, at the Beto stuff, which you have seen, you've been there for that, Jeremy. Uh, well, Beto says that his supporters should not be angry at those Republicans, and he gave a reason for that. Um, lest we be um, annoyed or judge these avid people, let's have a little bit of sympathy. Their candidate never shows up to talk to them. Jeremy, the crowd went wild for that. But again, though, that's a crowd of Democrats, right? There might be one person there who's a Republican who said that, hey, I'll vote for Beto O'Rourke. And that's, of course, when the when the cameras, like you said, if they see the person that, that might be a Republican, they have reason to think they're Republican or they said it to somebody, that's when it's lights, camera, action and social media, like it's all ready to go. But that is the small minority of people, right? And it, all of this stuff uh, is so anecdotal. You know, there are people who are upset, obviously, and legitimately upset and coming from uh, a, a place of good faith. They're speaking in good faith when they say, hey, 
if I'm someone who has a child who's transgender, I'm leaving Texas. I'm going to move to a different place because this is not a good place for my kid. We have seen cases of that. We have seen some women and some families say that because of the loss of, of certain rights for women, their right to an abortion, uh, with no exceptions, some of them would leave Texas over that. We know, and that, and again, that's real. That is happening. But when we look at the patterns of people coming in and out of Texas, it's still the case that more people are coming to Texas than are leaving. Right? I mean, and it's not. It's that's not close. It's not. It's by far more people. We still have, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. We still have about a thousand people moving to Texas every day. Yeah. People largely don't move and don't leave a state over politics or specific policies. Right? They move. Primarily for economics, somebody got you know for economic reasons. They, somebody got a job. People are moving to Austin from you know California because it's the big tech hub now, uh, with you know all these major tech companies that uh, you know, all the companies of the future, as they would say, uh, you got Tesla and Google and Apple and uh, what Indeed and Facebook and all the rest of these that either have you know a beachhead in Austin already. They're expanding their operations greatly, like Apple is. Uh, people coming in for jobs, and so we have uh, some. But I would say folks who, again, are coming from a good place, but there's sort of, sort of a protest of they're leaving Texas. But that's not the norm. And I think the same is probably true with this. Mo the vast majority of people who would say they're Republicans, and here's something else. In Texas, unlike some other places, in Texas, it's a little harder to define who's a Republican and who's a Democrat, right? We don't register by Republican and Democrat. People uh, who vote in a Republican primary, I would say that's not representative at all of most people who would say that they're Republicans, right? Because what's the difference between the numbers in the primary where you top out at 1.9, maybe 1.9 million, something like that, uh, maybe 2.5 million in a different year um, versus, you know, the four or five or six million Republicans who vote in November. I don't think the most extreme elements of their party represent them. Is there a sufficient number of people who are disaffected Republicans who would cross over and vote for a Democrat I don't know, but I think there are a lot of them who might just not vote in that election if they're not happy with Abbott, but they can't bring themselves to vote for somebody like Beto O'Rourke. You remember it was Jerry Patterson, the former uh, land commissioner who's a staunch Republican, who said that when Beto was up against Cruz, he couldn't stand Ted Cruz, but he voted for him and he walked out of the voting booth and stuck his finger down his throat and threw up. That's what he said, right? So... <laughs> So there are a lot of people who are going to do that. It's 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 really hard for people to take off their partisan jersey. Yeah, and, and just speaking to like you know the, the people moving here, it's like you know what, I've been kind of breaking down the numbers. You know the the blue spine I'm always talking about that stretch of I-35 from Laredo to the Oklahoma border. That section, you know, just since the last governor's race, we've added you know almost seven hundred thousand more voters. And that just that stretch, 700,000 <laughs> like added to this urbanizing, diversifying blue spine in the heart of Texas. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, that is like I, that you know, I, I'll keep saying it. It's a, this is going to be like a drinking game at some point where like people hear me say blue spine, you have to drink. But like but seriously, if there's 700,000 more people than, you know, had been here in the last gubernatorial election, but they're mm -hmm. urbanized, diversified you know, communities, what does that mean for this next election? Are those right. disaffected Republicans in other states? You know, are there people like moving from the New England area, from California, yeah. who are Republican, get here and go, whoa, what kind of Republicanism is this? And are they flipping over, you know, or not? Yeah. I don't know. 
Oh, well, and while yeah, and while Democrats want to email me and say, you know, there are people who are leaving because of the policies of the state that is too Republican, it's Republicans who ought to be worried about the people who are coming in. Yes. Right? It's the people who are co- coming this way who maybe don't agree with all of this. And they say, I moved here for a job, and I didn't realize that we couldn't do this, and we couldn't do that, and you guys went to town on uh, letting people just carry a gun with no permit just anywhere um, and, and, and carry it openly, which freaks a lot of people out. You don't see – you don't actually see a lot of that. But the fact that you might ever makes people freaked out, especially with recent uh, history. Um, what was this, Jeremy, where uh, Abbott and Beto were kind of trading barbs about oil and gas? Yeah, exactly. You want to talk about a preview of what's to come over the next 60 days. You know, uh, you know, it was this week. You know, every single day this week, Greg Abbott was putting out press releases, you know, put out a couple of videos all hammering Beto O'Rourke on oil issues, you know, trying to say he's not very supportive of oil and all this stuff, you know, but it's funny because at the same time, you know, if you remember back in, you know, that presidential campaign in 2020, one of the biggest problems Beto O'Rourke had was Democrats were upset with him because he's too close to oil. He was too supportive of fracking. If you remember, there was one point where like all the Democrats Democrats were on stage uh, and they're asking, would you, you know, support a ban on fracking? And all the Democrats are, yes, 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 yes. Then Castro's like, no, Beto, no. <laughs> right. And then back to yes, 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 yes. And you're like, okay, right. two of these guys don't belong here. <laughs> we want them off the stage. And and after that, both their campaigns were like, you know, short-lived. You know, by the end of that, you know, we, I think we were like two months later and they were both gone. Uh, but right. it kind of shows you how important this issue is going to be. And like, I'll have a story this weekend, you know, people should check out that kind of breaks down like all the stuff that Abbott's saying in these, you know, uh, press releases and what's the truth, you know, not, you know, not all of it's false, but like they obviously take some liberties with some votes, you know, is, you know, they, they make it sound like, you know, better works against fracking. Clearly right. he's not. They say he's, you know, he votes against oil drilling. I can point to you in legislation where he actually fought other Democrats to make sure drilling could continue to go on in the Eastern Gulf mm-hmm. when he was in Congress. Right. And so I'll have all that in the in the story that people can kind of break down. But but this is just be prepared. This is going to be the battlefront for Abbott. Abbott mm-hmm. has to make Beto O'Rourke a danger in the minds of people who mm-hmm. live on oil and gas. The, the yep. 400,000 Texans who are directly employed in the oil and gas industry, he can't let them think it's okay to vote for Beto. And Beto right. is going to do everything he can, obviously. Like he's saying, you know, he said last night in Pflugerville, that crowd was 1,500 people in a rainstorm, which is kind of impressive in itself. But like what he was telling them is what he's been telling people all over the state, you know, which is, you know, like, look, I'm not going to do anything about oil and gas jobs. I'm not going to, I'm going to add to them and support them. But, you know, but we're also going to add all the uh, green energy jobs. Look how great we're doing with wind. Which again, very hilarious because Abbott's saying some of the same stuff, right? You know, if you if you heard Abbott at some of his press conferences, or uh, very few of them, but like when he does get out there and he's you know speaking to folks, one of the things he like, likes to bring up is the fact that we, we are number one in wind. We're like right. a wind and solar, you know, you know, center that's starting to kind of really develop. So he promotes that yeah. too. So so just be ready for a lot of this. You know, that like clearly it's starting earlier than ever, uh, but it's on. You know, these guys are already talking about this and they're making it very upfront, you know, way before we're like a month before absentee balloting starts. But, you know, they want to get in the heads of those absentee ballot folks now. 
Yeah. Uh, by the way, some breaking news for those of our listeners who are in the government affairs business, and it's quite a few people who, who listen, uh, different folks in the lobby. Um, I just saw this uh, online, a dream job alert. Olive Garden nationally is looking for a government affairs person. Olive Garden is Olive Garden is the OG, right? Um, it, it is. Um, on this whole FBI raid <laughs> of Trump's home in Florida, and we're not going to go too in-depth on this because things keep changing with it, but one of our astute listeners uh, last week uh, listening to you talk about uh, which Republicans uh, you might pay more attention to on this than others. And you had said that, look, if, if somebody who has real national security cred like Mike McCall or somebody like Dan Crenshaw, if one of them speaks out about it, you would pay more attention to what and, – and, and I think I'm not mischaracterizing what you said. that you, you would say that that's more of sort of the adults in the room in the Republican Party – what they have to say about it is different from what some of these other folks are saying, which is basically, I mean, some of the rhetoric is almost just threatening and not even almost, but threatening people who are in law enforcement. And you have, you did see Dan Crenshaw say something like, oh, wow, the Democrats actually got us to say a version of defunding police. And so he, he congratulated the Democrats for, for that. He, and Crenshaw said, hey, look, it, uh, it makes Republicans look unserious. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. So one of our listeners pointed out that uh, Congressman McCall, uh, who, of course, you know, is on Intel Committee. Uh, he's, you know, before that, he was the chief of counterterrorism and national security in the U.S. Attorney's Office, the Federal Prosecutor's Office here in Austin, the Western District of Texas. Well, he was on CBS's Face the Nation and was asked about this FBI raid uh, by the host there, uh, Margaret Brennan. There is something like a healthy skepticism about law enforcement, certainly, but for the former president to be using the language that he is when there is this level of threat against FBI agents, uh, would you call on him? To tone it down? I, I think it's inflammatory. I don't want to put any law enforcement uh, in the bullseye of a potential threat. Um, and uh, that's um, someone who's worked with law enforcement most of my career. Uh, this is an extraordinary case. And what lawyers, we call a case of first impression. We've never had a, a former president of the United States serve with a search warrant. Uh, there was a subpoena. The court could have enforced the subpoena. That should have been a last uh, uh, stage process. And I would also, I agree with Brian Fitzpatrick, right? Mm -hmm. The affidavit in support of the warrant will give you the probable cause to try to understand what is going on here. And I think the American people deserve this. And I certainly think, to Rubio's point, that the gang of eight should have been briefed. And I believe that the relevant committees on the Hill should have access to the documents. But more, most importantly, this affidavit. So without getting into all the legalities of that, and of course, some of this could change. And as you know, there's a big back and forth with DOJ and uh, Trump's attorneys in court about uh, the release of the affidavit and what might have to be redacted and all of that. We'll, we'll see how that plays out. But that is a very nuanced answer rather than defund the cops, rather than you know Marjorie Taylor Greene running around and saying that the FBI – uh, needs to have their um, have their funding taken away. We heard on the show here last week, uh, Steve Bannon, who of course you know has advised Trump, saying that what they wanted to do with the FBI, from from the Trump supporter standpoint, what they should do and what they want to do uh, going forward, is quote choke down the FBI in the appropriations process, which again is a version of defund the cops. Well, and especially when you think of everything the FBI does, you know, it's like. Again, every time we go to one of these shootings in Texas, guess who's on the scene trying to break this stuff down? 
the FBI, you know, in Sutherland Springs, it was the FBI that was the lead agency on it. You know, it's just like, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing that we've now come full to this point where Marjorie Taylor Greene was literally wearing a hat that says defund the FBI. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, it's like, imagine if somebody did that, like a Republican did that during last summer after George yeah. Floyd was killed. You know, right. and like the Democrats were around saying defund the police and the Republicans are saying defund the FBI. It's like, oh, my gosh, what a great conversation that could have been. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, legislating is not for the faint of heart. I think that as somebody who watches it up close, I think that's a fair statement. And Senator Cornyn was in Austin uh, today uh, making that comment uh, in a news conference about this uh, CHIP Act uh, this, uh, that has to do with, uh, you know, our techno our technological base here. You know, I mean, the, the, the basic things you need to make, you know, cell phones and iPads and things like that. We want to start, you know, building the stuff here. And they did get some bipartisan uh, legislation passed on that, Jeremy. And what was the event and what was, what did he mean by, you know, basically saying it's not for, what did he say? It's not for sissies? Yeah. So, you know, you know, John Cornyn and actually and Michael McCall, who we were just talking about, were both at this yeah. press conference, you know, talking about the CHIPS Act. That CHIPS Act is the thing that, you know, Joe Biden signed just, uh, I want to say a week or so ago, uh, that will bring more semiconductor you know, manufacturing back to the U.S. Because right now, almost all of our semiconductors are made in Taiwan. And if you've been following the news, when China is having war games all around Taiwan, it's kind of hard to get shipments out, you know? And so so people are starting to yeah. worry, like, okay, wait a minute, what do we do if, like, if China ever were able to shut down all of Taiwan, that would mean the entire semiconductor, you know, marketplace is really run by China. And so now you see this CHIPS Act is aimed at trying to you know bring some of that back here. Mm -hmm. We're already kind of seeing some you know companies already do that. Samsung sure. has a big mm -hmm. semiconductor plant uh, coming in Austin. We got up in Dallas. There's a couple of them that coming in there. So it's like you can kind of see some of the fruits of that labor starting to kind of come together. But so I had asked you know you know Cornyn as like you know this is a guy who's been you know getting pounded for being so bipartisan you know, this year, right? You know, it's like, and I asked him specifically about this thing. Because remember, there was one point a couple of weeks ago where he threatened to kill this bill, his own bill, because he hated the way that Democrats were trying to add amendments to it. Well, so he, you know, quietly stood there for a minute. And then he says, you know, legislating is not for sissies. The only way you can get things done here is to work with Democrats. And he said, mm -hmm. you know, he knows he has constituents who are still upset with him for working with Democrats. Oh, but yeah. he needs to get things done. He's a different kind of legislator, right? We've talked about this on the show before. There are some people who want to run for president and are going to kind of gear their actions to do that. And then there's some others who are like, you know, I kind of really want to get something passed, you mm -hmm. know, and and Cornyn clearly not running for president <laughs> and <laughs> trying to get something passed in the bipartisan kind of way. And this right. seemed like an obvious bipartisan bill, but it was a bumpy ride to get there. Right. You know, they yeah. had so many moments, you know, I asked, you know, Cornyn afterwards, were you really serious about killing your own bill? How much yeah. of that was poker? It's like, well, you got to kind of hit different, you know, elements at different times and it can't mm -hmm. be just one strategy. And it certainly, I needed to let them know that I was really willing to kill the bill over it. So it's well, like, he knows, you know, game. none of this, None of it is uh, – nobody has their hands clean uh, after you do some real legislating because it's, it's, it's all about human interaction. 
right? So what it's it's all negotiating and figuring out what you do. They had the same thing or uh, version of it on the uh, burn pit legislation. Yes, they had a ver- they had a version of that on the gun legislation that you mentioned, and on this as well. Um, did you know that people on the internet and I was blown away. <clears throat> people on the internet are not always truthful. Like what you see there, and I saw there was a quote. It said, uh, and this was the quote, don't believe everything you read online. And that was Abraham Lincoln who said that. <laughs> I love, it's not a new joke. Everybody's seen that meme, I think. Um, Dan Crenshaw, who we mentioned, very upset with some folks uh, in the way that he was attacked uh, over the Republican primary in Wyoming. Earlier in the week, Jeremy, you had pointed out that there were some big supporters of um, Liz Cheney were from Texas, of course, and of course they have deep ties to Texas with, you know, Dick Cheney being the vice president to George W. Bush, who we were talking about earlier. Um, of all the people who were sending money and support to Liz Cheney, Crenshaw was not one of them, correct? Correct. So, yeah, it's like, the, what, what, well, what Crenshaw ended up doing, like he ended up saying something, you know, somewhat supportive of Cheney back in, mm-hmm. you know, before the attack on the Capitol. It's like we're talking mm-hmm. like it's, it's back in January of 2020. Like he said something supportive or 2021, excuse me. And yeah. that's when, you know, a lot of Republicans have seized on that. And even today, we're trying to make it look like he said it mm-hmm. last week. Yeah. Several political lifetimes ago was when that uh, happened. Crenshaw took to social media. He put out a Twitter video. It was probably on Instagram as well. I don't even know. Uh, But he said that you've got to stop listening to these trolls online. Obviously not true. Now, what these people are doing is spreading around a very old tweet, like over a year and a half ago, where I say nice things about Liz. Back when we all supported her, voted for her for conference chair, and then she went off the deep end and we all stopped supporting her. Now, I was in Jackson Hole this week, but with Kevin McCarthy, who was supporting Liz's primary opponent. And then we congratulated her. So... The truth here is that there's people on the internet who lie to you. They lie to you? Why in the world would they do that? And they especially like lying about me because they know that you'll click on it. So whoever shared that with you and took the date off, cropped it so you couldn't see it, couldn't get the context, whoever did that, unfollow them. The old unfollow. And I saw where Tucker Carlson also uh, jumped in on this fun as well, right? Yeah, Tucker Carlson on his Monday program ended up trying to make Dan Crenshaw, you know, look like some, you know, big supporter of what Asa Hutchinson, the governor of Arkansas, had said on CNN. And it's just like there was no link. I don't know what the connection was, but he said Mm -hmm. Asa Hutchinson said it. Dan Crenshaw will probably say it. (laughs) It's like, what? (laughs) And then it was all linked back to this whole Mm -hmm. thing about how much Dan Crenshaw, you know, liked Liz Cheney at one point when, you know, she was the conference chairperson for the Republicans. Do you you find it interesting at all? I do, but I'm not always the best barometer. Um, Do you find it interesting that Crenshaw and a guy like Mike McCall, who we heard from earlier on the FBI raid, they basically on national security issues and across a host of issues, they have basically the same positions. But I don't see McCall having these fights with internet trolls all day. Is there anything to the fact that Crenshaw just can't help himself and he has to fight with these? But when they say things, he has to say something back. And it, it, it sort of – you've heard people say it over and over again. He's, he's saying to unfo- – maybe he's saying the right thing finally. He's saying to do the old unfollow. Just don't even listen to those people. 
well, maybe he should not respond to those people and he wouldn't spend so much time talking about this stuff. Yeah, that that I believe that train left the station a long time ago. <laughs> it's like the moment he went There's on time to Saturday, correct. the moment he yeah. went on Saturday Night Live uh, to you know to you know joust with you know Pete Davidson, you know yeah. like that guy became something else, you know right? You know it's like so he like he has a different kind of public you know persona than uh, Michael mm-hmm. McCall. Michael McCall could anonymously walk into you know any. Republican national convention and go unnoticed. <laughs> Nobody would know who it is. Crenshaw, not going to happen. Crenshaw couldn't yeah. get four steps oh. in before somebody would, you know, know who he is and start, you know, being either pro or con or whatever. So. Yeah, he, he, he's, he's not going to take any advice from me, but here, here, I'll give him some free advice. So this is, uh, you know, people call it, people, what, the way he was talking there, they call it Dan Splaining. That was part of the, part of his tone there, I think, is, the way is, 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 you know, a factor. Um, when you're on Twitter, when you're on social media, you know, I say plenty of controversial things. I don't sit there for the rest of the day and argue with people about what I said. I say it and move on to the next thing. Give that, is it like you said, Jeremy, it may be the train has left the station. He, he is who he is. He's got his personality and he's handling things. There was a time when I used to sit around all day just fighting with people online. And let me tell you, something, that's a lost leader. You don't need to be. You don't need to be doing that with your time. There's a lot, and and you're a congressman. I'm just any other idiot on Twitter. But as someone said to me the other day, don't live on Twitter. You do some work there. You know, you promote your stories there. You get engage in some conversations there. Don't live there. You are a congressman. Go do that. Right. Handle that. And and as John Cornyn said, this stuff is not for sissies. You need a thicker skin. Well, and what's kind of been juicy to, as a reporter to kind of watch is how much Dan Crenshaw and Margie Taylor Greene live in each other's heads right now. It's like online, their drama is like insane. <laughs> so like, when all this was going on with Crenshaw, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene took to Twitter and put out an 18 thread, you know, tweet thread about uh, trying to take down Dan Crenshaw. It was like the longest thing I've ever seen on Twitter. I don't remember, you know, people having to write like a couple of chapters of a book <laughs> to kind of get their position mm-hmm. out. But these two just despise one another. <laughs> and like every time one of them says something publicly that can be seen as criticism as, from the other, it's like, it's just, you got to go to their Instagram. <laughs> you got to go to yep. their Twitter, at least until, you know, Twitter takes down whatever Marjorie Taylor Greene said, because <laughs> she always goes too far and they have to suspend her account for a stretch I, and then yep, comes back. Right. <laughs> I'll give him one other piece of advice. Take take your own advice, Dan, which is unfollow. Or this is even better. Just hit the mute button. You won't for that person. You won't see anything that they said. You don't have to worry about it. All right. If you is that enough show, Jeremy? That feels think, like uh, enough show. I, I think I'm out of show in me, uh, at least for this week. Uh, if you enjoy the show, and you know you do. You should be a subscriber on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, however you listen to your favorite podcast. Give us the best rating that you can. Leave some uh, leave some positive reviews there. We need positive reinforcement. Nothing ugly. I can't stand it going into the weekend. Um, I will consider this, Jeremy, because people uh, often say that we don't – they'll criticize me because I don't take requests on the show. People will – again, this is not engaging with the Twitter crowd, Dan. People will – Tweet at me that we ought to talk about this or that, and I will tell that we don't take requests. So here's what I'll do instead. Maybe this coming week, I will allow for people to tweet questions at me, and we might try to answer them. Maybe. 
but not if they're stupid. All right. So think it through. You have time to and don't be a troll that Dan Crenshaw would tell you to unfollow. Subscribe at quorumreport.com, HoustonChronicle.com. We'll see you next time.